I mean, I would be more afraid of Tom than I would of Bill because I don't want Tom yelling at me because I ran the wrong route. Or I don't want Tom looking at me like, what's going on with the kickoff coverage? We're getting gashed. So there was that almost fear of him. 13 seasons of professional football can go by in a flash. And I was grateful for every second of it. This game gave me everything, not without taking a few pieces of me along with it. Playing offensive line, it's been one of the most rewarding and fulfilling experiences of my life. Now, thanks to Audible, I look forward to sharing insights and stories with you of our favorite NFL stars and, of course, the fraternity of athletes that protect them. Offensive linemen are eternally bonded, and I am proud to forever be a part of the Blocking Brotherhood. I'm Ryan Khalil, and this is Block Forever. Hello, Block Forever listeners. Welcome back to the show. Well, another week and we've got another Hall of Famer on the show and quite possibly two when it's all said and done. This is a very special episode for me and one I've really been hoping to do ever since I got this show on Audible. This week, I spoke separately with Matt Slater of the New England Patriots and his dad, Jackie Slater. Hall of Fame tackle for the Rams, one of the greatest to ever play the position, not to mention one of my greatest personal mentors. Are you jealous? You didn't have a Hall of Fame personal mentor? It's too bad. I highly recommend it. As for Matt, we actually played on the same high school team together. That's how that came about. Servite High School, Anaheim, California. Back then, Matt was a speedy wide receiver before he went on to UCLA, where he started his special teams career. He's had an incredible 15-year run in New England, and he'll likely be joining his dad in the Hall of Fame. Matt and I covered a bunch of topics, including what Belichick told him when he was drafted, the most underappreciated player of the Patriots dynasty, and we also talked about how to handle it when your all-world star quarterback is trying to get you on his TB12 diet. I'll let you guess what quarterback that is. All right, here we go. My conversation with my good buddy, Matt Slater. How you doing, man? I'm fantastic now that I'm talking to you, pal. This is year 15 for you? It is, brother. Pretty crazy. So I was getting excited to do this interview with you, and I just started going down memory lane. When we were 15 years old, waking up in the Servite High School gym to a deafening devil went down to Georgia, waking us up during Hell Week, did you ever think we would have had the careers we did playing professional football? Well, you, yes. Definitely you. Me? Me, no shot. What are you talking about? You you came from NFL royalty, man. But you were head and shoulders the best football player that we had on our team. And we were really fortunate to have someone like you who I felt like was always the glue to our group. You always brought everyone together. You made everyone feel special and loved. And um, it, it just made for, you know, the best the best possible experience as, as a young person. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I got to be honest, though, you know, your pops, I remember a lot during high school. He'd come around and obviously there watching his son, but he couldn't help himself. He'd wander over to the offensive line and, and help where he could. And he was so, so gracious with his advice and his teaching. And, and even just like his confidence in me was so impactful in a way that 
really I carried forever. Do you have any memories of when he was playing either like players coming around or getting to go into the locker room or any of that stuff? I do. So, uh, you know, the last year in Anaheim, I find I was nine. So I was finally old enough to kind of come on the sideline and do the water. So at the time, you know, they had the water trays with Gatorade and I'm, I've got like clothes on that are way too big for me. I've got my big old hat and I'm running water around to the guys and they're calling, you know, little Jackie, need some Gatorade, little Jackie, get over here. You know, I'm watching the game and I'm standing there with water and these guys are like, you know, dying of, of thirst. And they're like, hey man, like snap out of it. So, you know, I tried to stay on my job, but I was still a, a huge fan uh, but, you know, just just so much fun. So I bet you have more empathy for the water boys coming around now I do. that you're a player. I, you know, I always say please and thank you to our water guys. <laughs> I, I've been on the other side of that. I don't want to I want to be disrespectful in any way. So how the hell does an, uh, the son of an offensive lineman become a wide receiver gunner? Well, there's there's two words for that. Annie Slater, my mom. <laughs> I get her jeans. <laughs> I didn't get the size of my dad. And you know, I had to I had to work with what I had, but uh, she gave me the toughness and she gave me the speed as well. You got to describe something for me. You play a position that's like nothing else in sports. Can you describe for me what a gunner does and how extreme and difficult that job is? I always tell people it's like it's like organized chaos. I mean, we're running down there like madmen. You know, a lot of times it's uh, a two-on-one matchup, and I love the challenge of trying to figure out how to to defeat a double team. And then, you know, being able to run, which is something I've loved doing since I was a kid. And then the physicality at the finish, going down there and get a chance to lay a hit on a returner or physically defeat a block. Uh, it's something I really enjoy. But it's, it's organized chaos. You see the punt team come on. There's 11 guys doing 11 different things. The play's happening fast. The ball's in the air. The returner's coming. Um, you got to love it, and, and there's nothing like it. And I know that when I'm done you know, covering those punts, I'm going to miss it. If you're building like a custom Madden football player, what are the important skill sets you need to be an amazing gunner? I think speed is, is big, right? A lot of the great guys that I've been around and seen – to have the ability to run and gain separation from those blockers. I think toughness is huge because special teams is about toughness. It's, an, it's a mindset. It's an attitude. It's not a glamorous job, um, but I think you've got to be tough. I think you've got to be selfless um, along, you know, along those lines. Just It's about the team. It's not about you. It's about what you can do to help the team. The other thing I would say is you got to be pretty smart because there are a lot of different situations that come up. You know, every snap presents a different experience. And I think you have to be able to draw upon previous experiences to process what's happening and then be effective on each down. And and that's what I've tried to do. What's the example of somebody who would be selfish? Like what's something they would actually physically do that would be a selfish thing for a gunner? Uh, you know, if they get blocked during the play, they stop. Uh, you know, they, they, they stop running. They stop pursuing the ball. You know, they miss the tackle. They kind of lay on the ground and and see the ball or, you know, you've seen guys, unfortunately, over the years, they get double teamed and they kind of shut it down. And, uh, you know, that's not team football. Yeah, you may be getting double teamed. You may not always make the play, but your effort should always be, um, you know, 100% all the time. So what point at UCLA did you fall in love with that gunner position? Or were you still kind of really 
wanting to be a, a, mainly a receiver? You know, for me, you know, you go to college with aspirations of, you know, excelling at the position that you were recruited to play. As fate would have it for me, I just, you know, I had injuries. I had a tough time getting on the field and, and getting play time, and it just wasn't working out for me. And certainly I still had a, a desire to play receiver and to do it at a high level, but I realized I was running out of time. And I wanted to maximize the time that I had, and I wanted to play. I mean, I love the game. I wanted to play any way possible. So I remember going to the coaches at UCLA and asking them to put me on special teams, like essentially begging, like, hey, put me out there. You know, if I don't do a good job, then you can put someone else in there, but I want to do this. And, you know, from the very first punt I covered, and I, I'll never forget where it was, we were playing Washington my junior year in Washington. And the feeling of getting out there, lining up, and trying to defeat a block and go down and make a tackle, it was exhilarating. And I, I think from that day forward, special team, I fell in love with special teams. And, you know, who could have foreseen what would happen? But it's been a heck of a ride. You got drafted in 2008. That first year, that was the year Brady tore his ACL. And you had my guy and former college roommate, Matt Castle, come in and lead the team to 11-5. and five. What do you remember from that season? What was that sort of like first-year experience like? Oh, man. Well, think about this. Uh, you have a three-time Super Bowl champion winning quarterback who's uh, the defending MVP, the reigning MVP, the first game of your rookie year first quarter blows out his knee. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, there goes the season. You know, I, I had never been in a situation where we had a player of that caliber get hurt on a, a team of that caliber. Uh, but I tell you what, Matt Castle came in there and did a heck of a job. And the thing that I love most about Matt, and you know this, his personality. <laughs> Everybody on this team loved Matt Castle. And when you say the name Matt Castle – the first thing you do is smile because you know how uh, joyful he is, how playful, just what a positive guy he is. And, you know, that that was a, a unique experience, navigating that year with Matt and, and still being able to have success as a team. It showed me the importance of team, the importance of being committed to one another. And, you know, I think about the locker room I was in my rookie year, you know, Teddy Bruschi, uh, Richard Seymour, Mike Vrabel. Junior Seau, and it was a great opportunity as a young player to learn how to be a pro, uh, to learn what a real team looked like, and to really be a part of something special. So uh, I'm so thankful for that first year that I had here. So what was the moment for you where the light bulb went off and Coach Belichick realized your role on special teams and the potential that you would have as a contributor to that for the, for the Patriots? The very first conversation I had with Coach uh, right after he drafted me, he says to me, okay, now I don't I don't know what position you're going to play. I don't know if it's going to be wide receiver, safety, which I had a little bit of experience at in college. He said, I'm bringing you here to help us in the kicking game. And when he said that, my role was pretty much defined for me immediately. Now, what that looked like and the confidence I had in that role and how I evolved in that role, I don't think I really – clicked in it until 2010, my third year, where I was like, all right, I understand what they're asking me to do. I know how to do it, and I feel confident enough to do it. So there was a th you know two, three-year process of really getting comfortable in that role and uh, mastering uh, the role, if you will. Uh, but man, I, I, I'm so thankful that Coach had faith in me, uh, 
to do that. I'm very thankful that I'm in a place where special teams is valued the way that it is. And uh, I mean, for him to give me the opportunity he's given me the last 15 years, you know, I really, really am thankful for that. He obviously, he's a huge fan of special teams. I know nothing about special teams. I want no part of special teams. I don't know how I was able to get off of even PAT, but I did. <laughs> Can you give me some specific examples of what he's taught you just to show how much he thinks about it? Well, look, I think any young football player, you don't spend very much time thinking about that third phase of the game. But what he did was really expand my view of the game and really see it from, you know, 30,000 square feet. What does it look like? And how do teams go about playing winning football? And for us, it's always been about field position, toughness, and just, you know, complementary football. Those are three things that we preach, and really special teams is important in all three of those areas. So you, you can talk about the hidden yardage in the field position. I think that's very obvious. Um, you know, when you can minimize big plays or big returns, you can pin a team back deep, or on the flip side of that, if you can get big returns, give the offense a short field to work with. But I think about the toughness aspect. You know, teams, we always say, you know, tough football teams run the ball, they stop the run and they cover kicks well. And for us, that's something that we've always prided ourselves on. And you see guys run down on kickoff and blow somebody up. That kind of sets sets the tone for the defense coming on the field. And there's an energy there. And then you go out and you get, you know, three and out and you get a big return. And now we're talking about complimentary football. So he's really been great in terms of helping me understand the importance of the overall picture of the game what complimentary football looks like, uh, the little things in terms of hitting yardage and field position that are going to help you win football games. And then thirdly, just establishing culture. Like, all right, this is what we want the culture of our team to be, and toughness is a part of that. How do we establish that toughness? So, you know, I can't say enough about how much football I've learned from a guy like Coach. Uh, he's brilliant and and he sees the game in a very unique way. It's one of my curiosities in wanting to do this show is really kind of understand places like New England that have had long time winning cultures. And it's like, you know, I hear you say things like toughness and culture and some, you know, a lot of these buzzwords we hear a lot. What is the secret sauce that kind of keeps that relevant every year? You know, people always talk about this patriot way. And what I've gathered over my time here is a couple of things. Number one, it starts with consistency. Uh, and that consistency for us starts at the top with our ownership and then trickles down to coach. I think what I've seen in my time here is there's a consistent message and approach and process that has been in place here for two decades. And, you know, we haven't varied from that. Players come and go, personnel changes out, but the message the expectations, the process, the standard, that has been the same. That hasn't changed regardless of successful season, win the Super Bowl, or, you know, not a successful season where, you know, we don't make the playoffs a couple of years ago. So I really credit the early group. I always say uh, the Patriots dynasty 1.0 for kind of taking what coaches message, their leadership, bringing it to the locker room and establishing a culture of, okay, we're all in this together. There's no ego here. There's no individual agendas. We're going to pursue the greater good. We're going to take what coach is preaching and we're going to go out and live it and do it on the field. And to me, 
that's really been the secret ingredient in all of this. You can talk about Brady, which is a huge piece of it. You could talk about Coach, which is a huge piece of it. But it's really been the people and the character of the men that we've had in the locker room to be able to to take the consistency from the meeting room and take it to the field, to really be invested in each other relationally, uh, to hold one another accountable. I think all those things are so important when you talk about establishing and building culture. But for me, the reason that the Patriots have had the success that they've had is because they've had high character individuals in this building the last two decades. And they have really stayed true to the, you know, founding ideals of this place, which is, you know, accountability, put the team first, do your job, work hard, as simple as they may seem to pursue that every day is challenging, but we've had guys that have been able to do it and it's it's been you know really fantastic. I do agree with you. I think that's true. But sometimes you guys also take chances on a lot of potential sort of red flag guys, I guess you could say. Not bad guys, but guys who are sort of like might be counter to what the culture is. And a lot of times it's succeeded. I mean, you guys have had incredible results from guys like Tlaib and Randy Moss and Corey Dillon. How was that received in the locker room when you guys hear of signing a guy like that, that that you sort of scratch your head and go, well, this will be interesting to see how this person sort of fits in. You know, let's be honest. I'm not going to beat around the bush. For 20 years, we had a player here who set a standard that was like none other. When you see this individual at the very top buying in and everyone else falling in line, you know, you don't want to be, you know, you talk about 52 and one, you don't want to be that one guy that's standing out because you're deciding to go against the grain. And usually the culture kind of helped police the place on its own. But I, you know, I, I credit that a lot to the relationship that Tom and Bill had and the, the, the cohesion that was there and the ability for guys to really just fall in line by looking at coaches not only saying this, but here's your best player doing it. And then from there, the leadership on the team doing the same thing. How did Brady specifically hold the high standard? Was it on the field play? Was it locker room? Was it both? It was both. And I'll tell you this, he never talked about it. You know, some leaders, there's a lot of talk and it's necessary. But for him, his actions spoke so loudly that he didn't need to say anything. I mean, this guy is in here before everybody. He's leaving after everyone. He's on the practice field and he's on guys. I mean, I would be more afraid of Tom than I would of Bill because I don't want Tom yelling at me because I ran the wrong route. Or I don't want Tom looking at me like, what's going on with the kickoff coverage? We're getting gashed. So there was that almost fear of him. Like, you know, we he wasn't even a coach. He was a, above everything. Like, man, that's my peer and I don't want to let this guy down. And he did it also on the like, – the way he attacked the game, the man's a maniac. All right, we all know this. The man's 45 years old. He's still playing football. He's a maniac. His dedication and his drive was unmatched. And if you're if you're looking at him and saying he's doing all this with all he's accomplished, and I think I can do less, yeah, good luck. Good luck with that. So, you know, a lot of kudos to him for, you know, leading by example for all those years. Outside of the TB12 stuff, what else, what other kinds of things was he doing behind the scenes that sort of wowed you that that he kind of set a high bar for that guys had to follow you know we say this about a lot of quarterbacks especially the good ones 
But his preparation and understanding of the game was totally next level. Um, you know, I remember having a conversation with him towards the end of his time here. And he said, you know what? The games are so fun now because I've seen everything there is to see. And his recall, you know, in 2004 when we played San Diego in San Diego, third quarter on third down, they ran this. I mean, this guy's played, you know, over 300 games at this time, and he can remember that stuff. So that, that to me, was an example of the, the detail and the intensity of the preparation off the field that was needed uh, in order to, to not just have success, but to maintain it. Nobody got a better seat of his evolution than you did. Um, you played with him from, I think, his he was 30 to age 42. Uh, what did you see evolve in his game? Like, what did you see uh, change as he got older and wiser? I mean, I, I think obviously the first thing that jumps off the page is the way that, and he's talking about this, just the way that he took care of himself. Uh, and the way he had to rethink and evolve in terms of what I need to do to physically be ready to go, what I need to do to recover, what I need to do to maintain peak performance. Um, but the thing that I always marveled at uh, when you talk about a guy like Tom is his ability to keep himself motivated. I think it's human nature for anyone. When you have success, it's hard to keep pursuing that that top, top level when you've already done it. It's easy to kind of say, look, I've done this. I'm going to let my foot off the gas. If anything, I saw from age 30 to 42 was him kick it up, which as crazy as that sounds, the urgency to win and the desire to win increased. And I, I marveled at that because, you know, I remember we won our my first Super Bowl uh, against Seattle in 2014, and I'm in the locker room and I'm – you know, I'm like a kid on Christmas, like this, it gets no better. And I go up to him and, you know, Tom, we finally got you another one, man. And he looks at me straight faced. This is an hour after the game. And he says, now we got to go do it again. And I'm looking at this guy like, man, I'm not thinking about going to do it again. We just did it now. But that's who he was. And, and to see that maintained over the, the 12 years that we played together, was probably the most impressive thing that I saw. Obviously, a lot of guys know about TB12, and he's very vocal about how he took care of his body. I always remember guys sharing sort of things that they were trying or experimenting with in the offseason. We're, we're all trying to kind of cheat our mortality in this game and, and just hang on a little bit longer. Is it weird or awkward when one of your teammates who you trust and love also now has sort of like uh, – an entrepreneur kind of angle to it where he's like kind of hawking product. Yeah. The, the dynamic was, was interesting. You know, it was interesting because there was that kind of feeling of like, you know, he's, he's building a brand and evolving a brand. And clearly <laughs> he wants it to be successful and you're like, yeah, it, it certainly can help. However, you know, you, you're walking around and there's merchandise and protein powders and, you know, electrolyte droplets and you're like, man, this is, you know, we got a lot going on here, <laughs> but you know, I, I respect the man's hustle. I, I, I have no issues with, with him trying to build his brand. And, and I think in his mind, he's doing it so that he can help people. Sure. And, and he really believes that. So was he good about, uh, 
taking care of his own line? How was he with uh, with offensive oh. line gifts at the end of the year? Or was he oh, or man. was he only giving out TB12 packages with free protein <laughs> bars and T-shirts? There may have been some protein bars and T-shirts, but I tell you what. Now, I would see some of these gifts, whether it would be watches, computers, you know, to boot New York shoes. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I wish I was playing offensive line because he really took care of his guys. And it was the guys, you know, that were on the practice squad, the guys that didn't start. I mean, he took care of everybody. And, you know, I think that sent a message like, again, like, the team and these guys don't get celebrated and appreciated the way that uh, I always have felt they should, but he, he recognized that he acknowledged it and he made sure to take care of his guys. So many great players during the new England dynasty. Who's a player that doesn't get enough credit and was an underrated key part of the continued success of the team. I mean, I I think about a couple of guys that I think, you know, they are well-known guys, but their roles were huge. Vince Wolfert, was kind of like the bridge between, you know, Patriots 1.0 and Patriots 2.0. Really? How so? Well, he was there for the third Super Bowl. That was his rookie year. And then his last year with the team, uh, 11 years later, was the fourth Super Bowl win. And I think what he was able to do was take a lot of the lessons and the ideals from that early group of guys and communicate them to us, the younger guys, in a, in his own way to where we could apply it and go out and be successful. So he was really a linchpin of, of what we did and, you know, us being able to experience success again in the 2.0 dynasty. Um, I can't say enough good things about Vince. That's interesting you say that about Will Fork. I, I'm curious, you know, I've heard you always speak so warmly and graciously about Bill Belichick. How much does he lean on guys like you or Will Fork or Tom uh, or whoever to sort of teach the younger guys what the standard is and what's expected of them? And how do you go about that? Yeah, you know, I think that's been a big part uh, of his approach here. He's, you know, you look at it historically, there have always been a, a group, a core of veteran players, older guys that have been on his football teams. And I think you know, a part of keeping this thing going for so long is you have to have veteran leadership who knows what it looks like, knows what it takes, that that are able to take the message from him and relay it to the locker room in their own way. Some teams have like a veteran committee. Do you guys do anything like that? Are you guys meeting often with him or is it or is he kind of coming at an individual basis? Our captains meet with him weekly. So, you know, I think he relies heavily on the captains. You know, we have a captain's meeting um, you know, usually every Friday. And in that meeting, you know, he's very intentional about getting a gauge and a feel of where we are as a team, where we think we are as a team. And then he communicates with us what he needs, you know, what his expectations are, what he needs. And, you know, I think he trusts uh, that group of players to go out and be able to relay that message. And, and you have to. I mean, look, he can't do it. Nobody in this game can do anything by themselves. And that's why I always come back to relationships. And he, he trusts us and he needs us to be a part of that process. And I appreciate that about him because I think someone as accomplished as him could easily try to do it all himself, but he doesn't. Matt, which player or coach that people wouldn't think of had the biggest role on your career? Oh, wow. Um, you know, there are some very obvious ones that I say, uh, you know, 
Larry Izzo, who's a special teams captain when I was here, or, you know, Devin McCourty, my, my longest tenure teammate. But for me, I would say there, there are two guys that really have impacted my career more than any other. Coach Scott O'Brien, who was the special teams coach uh, from my second year all the way until 2014, we won the Super Bowl, uh, who really just developed me as a player, gave me confidence and belief in myself and just taught me how to play the game. And then Nate Ebner, who was a uh, you know, special teams running mate of mine for a number of years here in New England. Y- you always need a guy who's going to push you to be better. You need a peer that's going to challenge you and push you and who's pursuing greatness alongside of you. And, and for me, he was that teammate uh, that made me better, that challenged me, that held me accountable and pushed me to be my best. So, you know, without those two guys, I'm not sure what kind of career I would have had, but, you know, I certainly owe them both many thanks. Nate Ebner, he was a rugby player, right? Yes, yes. Belichick's very, always very using rugby dude. players, man. What is it about rugby players he likes? I'm telling you We'll use any any. I mean, we'll take Steve Neal, who was a former wrestler and ended up playing guard here for eleven years. We'll take a rugby player. We'll take you know a lacrosse player, whoever it is. You know, we'll take them and we'll find a role for them. And that's that's kind of the beauty of this place. Well, I'm so proud of you, bud, and I love you, and I can't wait to keep watching you. Hopefully, uh, we get to hang out soon. But I know you got to keep playing. But I'll be waiting for you on the other side, man. Oh, man. Thanks so much, Ryan. Love you, man. It's it's so great to be with you. I really appreciate you having me. And, man, you talk about guys who have had an influence on my career. Uh, you were one of the most important people that I've ever played with. So I appreciate everything that you showed and instilled in me, brother. Appreciate you. Well, likewise. All right, pal. I love you, man. Good luck to you the rest of the season. We'll be watching and cheering from afar. Love you, brother. You can listen to Block Forever and other sports content on Audible. Audible is the home of storytelling, audiobooks, originals, podcasts, and more. Start listening free at audible.com. Jackie Slater played 20 seasons in the National Football League for the Los Angeles Rams before he retired in 1996. But honestly, the most important thing he ever did in his football career was mentor a young Ryan Khalil at Servite High School. So between my father, Frank, who played center snapping to Jim Kelly, and Hall of Famer Big Bad Jackie, needless to say, I had a nice little head start on what it took to play the position and probably the number one reason why I was able to play in college and have a long career in the NFL. Aside from being a great mentor, he is an incredible all-around man and someone who believes in the many same fundamentals about football that I do, probably because he taught me most of them. Here's my conversation with the great Jackie Slater. Mr. Jackie Slater, the man, the myth, the legend. How about that, huh? I'm sitting here and I'm having a lot of memory flashback right now. You were a huge, huge chapter in my development as, as a football player, as an offensive lineman. Listen, to play professional sports, especially in the National Football League, you got to have an incredible work ethic. That's right. Genetics and talent help Absolutely. also. It's not the end all, but it gives you a big— Gives uh, you an opportunity to compete. A hundred percent. But then there's that part of the game that nobody really talks about, which is luck. 
And I was incredibly lucky that I went to the same high school as Matthew Slater, whose father was Jackie Slater. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, man. yeah, it was for me. For an offensive lineman, it was for me. We were all so incredibly grateful to how generous and gracious you were with your time and how much you spent with us, not only giving us tips and teaching us, you know, these kinds of tricks of the trade that you've learned over your long career, but also you were just so encouraging. But I always think about that because that was such a huge impact on my career. Wow, that 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 is, and you know, you never know how young people. Uh, view what you try to do with 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 them and for them. I, I can tell you this though, Ryan. I was having a lot of fun. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, my son. I didn't get to coach him. I didn't know very much about what Matthew was doing. I just fast anything to do with speed and quickness. I I didn't have much you know uh, knowledge about it. But when it came to big brawny guys and and doing the tough dirty work, I knew about that, and it was just a joy for me. And and then to see you guys go out and produced. And to have the success you had, you know, it was a lot of fun for me. I, I watched you all the way through when you left Servite and when you went to USC and to see you go there and have the success you had and then the jackpot out of there and go to the pros. It was just a joy for me. It was like it was like I gave myself a pat on the back and said, man, I hope, uh, you know, I, can, I contributed to this young man's success. And then to watch you have the career you had, it was just a lot of fun, Ryan. I got to tell you, man, well, it was you a lot of fun. You did more than contribute. You know, I never had any aspirations of playing in the National Football League when I was younger. I was always busy doing stop motion animation, and I I wanted to get into entertainment in a way that I I just couldn't I couldn't see straight unless I did. Wow. You know, you never said the NFL, but you kept saying things like you could play a long time, you could you could be really great at this position, and you kept instilling that over and over and over. And you kind of wore me out with it. I guess what about it? Uh, in a in a younger kid, can you see that you can say, oh, that's somebody that could probably play a long time versus I'm just trying to help these young guys so that they can block better for my son who's right. out here trying to catch balls? Right. <laughs> well, you know, I think it, it goes back to, you know, the, the kind of guy that I was when I was 13 years old. When I was 13 years old, I was six feet tall, weighed 245. I was the biggest guy. I was bigger around as I was tall. And I didn't want anything to do with the game. And, uh, the coaches work with me, and I, I I don't remember anything about the technique. I don't remember anything about uh, what they wanted me to do with my hands or my feet or anything like that. But I do remember them preaching the physical aspects of the game for alignment. And I remember just over the years, as time went by, the thing that grew the quickest in me was my ability and my desire to be physical. I didn't always go the right way. I didn't always use the right technique, step with the right foot, use the right hand or any of that. But I was going to be going really, really hard and really, really competing. And I can tell you that when I work with anybody and I see a big fellow that fits the, the you know, he fits the, the prototype for the position. And he you look at him and you, you say, the good Lord said, let there be offensive linemen. And you see that. But then you see an aspect of that big fellow who's very insecure, who's very timid, perhaps. It's unsure of himself. It's probably got limited balance. Well, you can take a guy like that and teach him the things that he needs to know. And all of a sudden, this guy blossoms. He blossoms into a very special football player. You see, I remember you on a couple of occasions getting flipped. But when you get when you stood up after you got flipped over, I saw a furrowed brow. I saw a guy. <laughs> I saw a guy that was not gonna allow 
this to continue and was going to make sure that you saw to it that, hey, he didn't get away with it, that type of thing. So to have that competitive juice in you is something that I look for early on. And then once you see that, now you build and you augment that competitive juice with technical savvy that allows the guy to play even more so on the edge. You played from the 70s to the mid-90s, and now you're watching the game now. What of it has changed in your mind, and what of it is still football, still football, and these things are still true as they were when you played? Well, football is still football. The technical aspects of the game are still there for an offensive lineman. You're at a disadvantage on passing downs because you're moving backwards, and you're dealing with a big, talented guy that's moving forward that's got a unique set of skills to try to combat you as you do something that is not natural. So, you know, those things aren't going to change. But, Ryan, i got to be honest with you, man. I'm not so sure that I could have played today. No? I'm not so sure. I played 20 years of pro football. The first maybe three or four years, I played six preseason games. And then 14 regular season games. Then, then, then they add the two more regular season games. But, Ryan, I played in every preseason game that we had, even when I got older, because it was it's, – it's, it's not like you – you know, you can just walk into the league opener and play at the level that you want to play at. To me, you just can't do it. I see guys doing it, but look at the injuries you were seeing. Yeah. We're seeing we see a lot more injuries the first couple of weeks when you put a guy in the all of a sudden you save these guys and you put them in the game, especially a young guy. You know, you put them in the game against some of these sav- savvy veterans that's getting after them and then just stopping and cutting and changing directions and doing things efficiently, you know, you're seeing a lot more injuries. I personally don't know how I could have played at this particular point in time because I was the type of guy, and I believe this, Ryan, I believe you will agree with me on this. If you were to think about the highest skilled positions, the highest skilled positions on any football team, just think about this. You have to be able to execute those skills. You have to be able to practice those skills. The more skills you need to be successful, the more you need to practice those skills in an intense environment, in my opinion, to be able to be successful in a game. And so when I and you can say, okay, well, a quarterback is the high skill. He's and I would concede that a quarterback may have, but the quarterback is throwing all the time. The only thing a quarterback's got to get ready for is how is he going to take the shots when he get hit in the lips. <laughs> How is he going to take the shots when he gets hit? How is his body going to hold up to the, to the pounding? But you take an offensive tackle now or an offensive guard who got to deal with the likes of Aaron Donald, you know, got to deal with the likes of some of these dynamic pass rushes coming off the edge. And, yeah, you can simulate it a little bit, but you got whoop, you get the, the quick whistle in practice and everything. You're stopping guys from competing. They're not competing until the snap, until, until the referee blows the whistle, you know, and, and dog nasty competing. That doesn't happen in an NFL practice training camp. And so that's the thing that concerns me. And 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 to, as I said, the higher the skill required to be successful with your job, the more you need to execute it. And what I don't see is the offensive lineman executing those skills intensely, intensely, game-type tempo. I don't see that. Okay, so just to, just to clarify, though, when you say I couldn't play in this league today, you're just talking about the structure in which they prepare. Physically, though, where do you think you and some of the greats that played in your era 
would fit in today's game? Well, I think a lot of the guys uh, that played in my area, towards the end of my area, you got Jonathan Ogden, mm-hmm. and, and then obviously way later than that, Orlando Pace. I mean, these guys are behemoths, man. These these guys are six nine, you know, big, tall, rangy guys that uh, you know can latch on to you and just smother you. I wasn't that that type of a guy. I, now, now, let me let me say this. I think you might have wanted me to answer the question like this. I had the advantage of being able to attack a defensive line, strategically plan out my attack on a defensive lineman. Okay, I remember we got ready to play uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, and Ernie Zampezi, God rest his soul. He just recently passed away, one of the greatest uh, offensive minds that I've ever been around. Uh, he, he addresses the meeting, uh, the offensive meeting, and he points at Reggie White, and he said, we all know who this guy is. This guy's not going to wreck our game. We're running this. We're running that. We're running this. We're running that. And everything we were running was away from him. And then the pass protections we were going to put a tight end. I mean, everything was helping the right time. He never called my name one time, but it, it was all about helping me. And so I remember sitting there looking at that, and I'm thinking, man, I do not like this. So after the, after the meeting, we broke. I went over to the offensive line coach. I said, man, y'all can't do me like this. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you're running all the plays away from Reggie. I said, that ain't, that ain't the way to neutralize Reggie White. You neutralize Reggie White by letting me serve up everything. I said, I want a three-step drive. I want a five-step drive. I want a seven-step drive. I want play-action pass. I want counters. I want bims. I want dives at him. I want everything. Let me run the whole offense. And he said, well, we've already got a plan. Well, he thought about it. (laughs) He thought about it, and he came in the next day. And in the offensive line meeting room, he said, to hell with this guy. Just like that. He said, we're going to run our offense. <laughs> it was the best news I could have heard because what they did was they gave me an opportunity to step to the left and cut him off. Step to the left, get him to bite, throw him inside. Ball comes outside of him. This is the way I feel about it, Ryan. You make him defend a lot of things, then you weaken him. When I talk to offensive linemen today, some of the younger guys, especially tackles, I don't hear them talk about the game the way that guys do like you or the guys that I played with and learned from. And sometimes when I talk to guys about, well, what was your plan going to that game? What was your plan? It's not, I don't don't really, they don't really have a plan. And I think that's kind of crazy. Well, it's kind of hard to develop a plan against a guy when the rules are set up. You know, it's a, it's a different game also, Ryan, I would say. I, 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 I watched the game evolve over the years where we strategically attack defenses with our uh, running attack. We we strategically attack them with our passing attack. It wasn't just satisfy the fans with the dynamic passing games and throwing the ball, flicking the football all over the place. I mean, it was about, you know, strategically attacking defenses, dominating the time of possession. I mean, I don't think time of possession – Dominating the time of possession means as much to coaches as it did. I think it's about scoring and scoring dynamically and standing the fans, uh, you know, to their feet. I, I, I played on an air, in my opinion, where the it, it was important to have a good ground attack and it was important to be versatile. In fact, I don't think that if I was six foot seven or six foot eight and weighed three hundred and 35 pounds that I could have done the things that I did as a player during my time. I mean, I I could execute virtually any kind of block. 
on this side of the line of scrimmage or that side of the line of scrimmage. They never had a problem with using me on traps. They never had a problem with pulling me on counters. They never had a problem with putting the ball in the perimeter behind me. They never had a problem with putting the ball in the perimeter behind me on screens. And so it was because I was a, during the air, we, we weren't as big and, and I won't say uh, cumbersome. I was, I would just say we weren't as, uh, I could have used the word powerful, perhaps, because he's some big, strong, big, strong guys. I, I just think maybe the game evolved from a, a strategical uh, game to let's get the fans on their feet. To me, I mean, it's a lot of uh, get the fans on the feet plays happening. I mean, they're designed. They don't always work, but you you can see if these a lot of these plays that these coaches are drawing up, you know, they 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 fans love that stuff. And so I guess they got to do what they got to do. You were on some great winning teams, and one of the missions I'm on is to try to better understand how franchises, really great franchises, consistently win. Your son, Matt, he's part of one that, run by Bill Belichick, is is pretty incredible. I'm curious, you know, one of my goals of this is to find out what are those sort of foundational things that are tried and true and that, you know, are being implemented by some of these places like Patriots um, but but hold true from from the eras of before. Well, that's a, that's a good question, and you know, I too, like everybody else, have just marveled at at Bill Belichick and the success that he has had uh, over the over the years. You know, with Tom Brady and and all of the great players uh, that that he has coached and developed, and including my son Matthew, I just marvel at it. But in in a, in a way, I see a lot of kind of old school stuff going there, going on there. You don't be late for things, okay? You 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 care about people. You you treat people in the building with respect. You don't come in there with your you know, I I, I I'm special attitude. Everybody's the same. Everybody has their job to do, and everybody's responsible to everybody else to do their jobs. You hear him say it all the time, do your job. I said, Matthew, do you know what your job is? He said, yeah, daddy, I'm going to do my job. <laughs> and so I said, well, that's all you can do. And I, and I don't think there's been much more asked of him than to have his a description of what his job is laid out for him and then putting him in a position to go and do what we said is best for this team for you to do. And I think that's one of the things that Bill Belichick has consistently done over there. Nobody is spe- more special than the next guy. And so I think that's really unique. And I think that's a, a real a special building block uh, for a football team. And I think it's, it has to happen ongoing. You can't just you know do your job this year and then come back next year and say, OK, well, now I've been here a year or two. It's time for me to do my own thing. No, it's kind of old school. Yeah, it's old school. But, you know, I think players, they want – disciplined, tried, and tested processes so that they can have themselves an opportunity to have productive, long careers. I don't think that you see anybody coming to the National Football League to say, hey, I just want to hit it this year, just hit it for this contract, and then I'm done. I hate this. I, I didn't meet too many guys like that. Did you? No. Yeah. No, guys no, no. Guys want to play, and they want to be good, and they want to be a part of something special. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they and they do want to get paid. But if you play and you're a part of something special, you're going to get paid. It's simple as that. So I think that, the, in my opinion, they've been the envy of the National Football League for a long, long time, and 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 Belichick got the process right. When did Matt come to you, and when do you realize 
one, you weren't going to be coaching an offensive lineman, and two, when did you realize Matt was going to have the kind of career that he did? Well, I never in my wildest imagination thought that he would have the kind of career that he did. The thing that Matthew showed me that was kind of unique for, I think, anybody his age was that he had a tenacity about when he competed. He didn't just sit there and meander to a play. If he felt like he could impact the play, he went there as fast, as hard as he possibly could. Mm -hmm. And I thought, hmm, that's kind of unique. In my wildest imagination, I never would have thought that he would have played football. I, in fact, I started learning about baseball, became a baseball coach, and soccer, came, became a soccer. I had him running track. I, anything that would get his mind off of football because I'm thinking this kid is not going to be big enough. You know, he's got different little issues that he's had, asthma, different things he's had all of his life. So let's get some other sports so he can have fun doing some things other than that. And then he says, Dad, he said, I'm going to be in the, ninth, in the ninth grade. I had hope that I could deter him by the time he got to the ninth grade. And he said, Dad, you told me when I got in the ninth grade I could play football. And I'm thinking, man, I thought he had forgotten about that. I mean, he, what was he, 5'11", 135 pounds, talking about he want to play football. And I'm thinking, I don't know what to do. I can't tell him anything. I can't teach him anything. So what I did was I said, okay. Because he was a little guy, I went to guys like Leroy Irvin, who was the best pure cover corner that I played with at the Rams over my career. And I said, Leroy, he says he wants to play football. And Leroy started working with him, and they would work, you know, work on route running and stuff. And then when he was running track, um, he was doing okay, and I went and got a teammate of mine to go to a track meet, Ron Brown. He was an Olympic gold medalist in 84. And he started training Matthew all through the offseason into the next year and took him from, like, 10th in the state to second in the state in 100 meters. So I was, you know, t typical dad. You want to see your kids be successful. So if you can't help them, you find somebody else who can, right? But I, in my wildest imagination, I never would have thought that he would have had the success. He It's, it's strictly, strictly because the good Lord has blessed him, Ryan, and that he has a he has a work hard, you know, he, he has a work hard mentality. He's one of the hardest workers I ever met. Yeah, That's a, for sure. He's a hard working kid. Well, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, my friend. I appreciate everything you've ever done for me. And, uh, you know, I still got those. Uh, do you remember this when I broke my foot in high school? You don't remember this, do you? What happened? Did you get toe pieces? I broke my foot in high school. Yeah. And we couldn't find any cleats to fit me. And uh -huh. you went down to the Rams and you brought me some <laughs> white and blue cleats that I, that, that these like special insoles could fit oh, into. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I had the moon boots. Remember, we yes, called them the moon boots. I do remember now. <laughs> I still have those things. You still got them? Oh, yeah, I still oh, got them. Oh, my goodness, man. I still got them. How about em. that? How about that? I'm telling you, see, you don't even know. No, you don't even think about you it. You don't even know. Well, Ty, I love you very much. Appreciate you, and bro. And your family. Appreciate you. You're a good man, and thanks for coming on. I'm glad I could do it. Glad yeah, absolutely. Continue success to you. Well, that's the show. An enormous thank you to Jackie and Matt Slater for joining me, two of my all-time favorites. Before I head out, quick reminder to tune in this week to Thursday Night Football only on Prime Video. The Saints head to the desert to take on the Arizona Cardinals. Enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you next week. This has been an Audible original production of Block Forever, produced by Fresh Produce and Audiorama. Matt Waxman is our lead producer. Sound design and edit by Kenny Holmes. Our producers are Kenny Holmes and Matt Schrader. Production assistant, Ben Gerstel. And our talent booker is Kristen Dunn. For Audible, executive producer, Pat Shaw. 
For Audiorama, the executive producer, well, that's me, Ryan Khalil. For Fresh Produce Media, executive producers Colin Moore, Joe Killian, and Jason Ross. Head of production, Elena Bovitz. Our supervising producer is Jamila Zara-Williams. Production coordinator, Henry Koch. And our production manager is Herminio Ochoa. Special thanks to Powerhouse Capital and Mikey Fowler. And I'm your host, Ryan Khalil. Copyright 2022 by Audiorama Inc. Sound recording copyright 2022 by Audible Originals LLC. Listener.